I'm just thinking all this time I've been telling people to put all their good dollars away into these retirement vehicles so that someday later, 59 and a half, they can take that money back out after the government's done a good job of compounding all their interest. And then they just take back the scraps later and they'll know the government just has a feast on that. It's just stupid. But why can't we just build wealth by taking back the money we're giving to everybody else? And here's the reason why, because nobody knows how to do it. Nobody has the machine that will allow them to do what you just said, to take and use their machine as leverage or as collateral and allow an insurance company who has the most amount of money out of all the money originates at insurance companies. If your audience doesn't already know that, that's the the mecca of money. Insurance companies lend blocks of money to banks. That's how they get their money. But the insurance company will gladly give their policyholders money on a first priority, you are numero uno to the insurance company because the insurance company just takes the money you have in your cash value as collateral. They make you a loan. And then all you do is you take that loan and you pay off everything that you're spending money with. But then the second piece to this comes into play. Now, when you pay off your car, when you pay off Visa, or you, you use that money to do everything you're doing today, take back the money. Be an honest banker. This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast. And today's episode, I get to sit down with Chris Nagel. And this guy is, is a ball of energy. You're going to see real quick uh, why we we're, we're not only got connected, we're friends, uh, but he's on a mission to help America take back control of their wealth. He has what's called the money multiplier method, which is another way of saying infinite banking. So we're in the same business. And and he goes around, I mean, he, he was on HD. GTV with Risky Builders. He's big into real estate and I've gotten a lot of feedback on people that want to hear more case studies on how people use uh, life insurance when set up and used properly for real estate. But then you'll also hear his journey from, you know, being a successful <laughs> advisor and then totally learning about this later in his life and then having a 180 and, and truly dedicating his life to share with more people. And we talk about 401ks, we talk about, you know, the the nuances of this and, and it's it's been it was it was a lot of fun. I mean we we are doing the same thing. We say it we say some things um, differently. But it was I I'm, again I'm I've love having people on the show that challenge the status quo and that are passionate about it. And and so without further ado, here's Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here, man. Thanks. Are you now you're in New York today, correct? Yeah, freezing cold Buffalo, New York. Thanks for asking. I am in beautiful sunny Denver. I think be right before we <laughs> had the conversation, I'm trying to I'm trying to do everything I can to get you out here. And so uh, whenever you 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 can come out anytime and we'd love to to see you snowboard because uh, you're a pretty good snowboarder. Yeah, I did did spend a lot of my years uh, doing a little bit of snowboarding. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. You you already had me out there just saying you're from Colorado. I'm like, yeah, where are we going to go? We going to Breck? We going to Copper? What what's your poison? So okay, so we're gonna get into a lot of things. You have some bold claims that you make. I've personally seen the work ethic and your ability to speak and it's unbelievable. But Thank you. you you have the money multiplier method. You're a um, huge fan of infinite banking. Yes. You you've been on TV, uh HDTV really combined life insurance and real estate which I know is mm-hmm. going to be a hot topic and I've been asked a lot of people from our show wants us to get 
uh, more people that understand how real estate works. And you have America's number one money mentor. <laughs> the big, those are some bold statements, my friend, <laughs> are, my friend. We, are, we are going to, uh, we're going to break that down. But before we go into philosophy, infinite banking, real estate, could you break down your story and your origin story of why you're so passionate, why you're smiling right now, why in the world you're in New York on a zoom call with me. And I just want people to really understand where you're coming from. And, and then we can go into all the fun money stuff. Yeah, I'll just take a few minutes and I'll just kind of explain how I got where I'm at because it's not what a lot of people think. My my humble beginnings are just that. I grew up in a lower, lower middle-class family. Dad was an alcoholic. Mom and dad got divorced and my mom had to raise me. And boy, was it a huge struggle for her. And I'll never forget. I mean, it was just, she did everything she could to keep a roof over our head and just you know make it so that me you know, as her son, her only son didn't really know that we didn't have money. So it, it was just a struggle. And I know that's not the norm for most people, but that's just how I grew up. And even though I didn't have much, I, I just always wanted more. I was a dreamer and I was a dreamer because my mom allowed me to dream. No matter, even if we didn't have stuff, when I said I had this crazy idea as a kid, I wanted to build a BMX track in the backyard, or I wanted to build a half pipe for the skateboards, or I wanted to build a fort with a trampoline next to it that we could bounce our snowboards off the, the fort. I mean, all these were like, you know, these are kid things, but these are crazy dreams and things that needed money. And my mom never said no. My mom never said we don't have the money for that. She enabled me to learn how to work hard. So when I wanted that BMX track, it took a couple truckloads of clay. And what she said is go around and mow lawns and ask the neighbors if you can do stuff, raise money. And that's what I did. And I saved enough to do that. And that was like my whole beginnings were just like that. It was always just, I had this dream and mom just kind of enabled me to go work and make a little bit of money. And she helped me with that uh, because she didn't have much. She, you know, would, uh, she was just a big saver. If we needed a lawnmower, she would save for a year to buy a lawnmower because the old one was about to break down. So take that and fast forward that to, uh, I guess when I was 16 years old, I, you know, I was working on farms up to this point, making just enough money to put dirt, you know, gas in my dirt bike so that I could get to work and just do the things I wanted. I was on my way to, you know, my big goal back then was to be a pro snowboarder. So that's what I saved for. I needed a season pass in the year and I would work all summer long on the farm. And there was two farms I worked on. One was a vegetable farm. One was a, a cow farm, but I didn't think anything of it. Hey, what to me, it was like, that was what got me fuel in my dirt bike. That's what enabled me to travel and snowboard. That was all I cared about was the end result. So 16 years old, I got a big boy job. I started working for a restaurant like many 16-year-olds. You know, that's where you land on your first job. And at that first job at this restaurant, it it wasn't what it should have been. You see, the boss, the owner, was such a nasty human being. Every day I went into work, he made me feel like I was worthless, like I couldn't do anything right. And it literally started getting to me. And a kid that was always positive, smiling, like you, you were just saying, I started turning into this depressed person that just felt like I couldn't accomplish anything. I couldn't do anything right. I just, I just couldn't do anything right because I'd come into work and nothing I did was right. So I remember the one day I came in and I got up the courage to muster the strength and say, I quit. And that was the moment when I quit trading hours for dollars. And I'll never forget, I came home after work that night and I was so scared to tell my mom that I quit my job because I had never quit a job. And I told her and I said, mom, but that's okay. I, I'm going to start a clothing line and I want to mm. know, can I do it in the basement? Can I make that my office and start fat clothing company? So 
she wasn't mad. She was actually excited for me. And that's where fat clothing started. And that's P-H-A-T, just so you know. And uh, it started with a dozen t-shirts that I printed with my art teacher. I sold those. It turned into two dozen. And, you know, fast forward from 16 to 17, I had uh, started a clothing line that was being sold in many stores across the United States. uh, Because when I travel for snowboarding, I would take my clothing and sell it to every shop along the way. And I had four seamstresses. My mom was one of them. And it was just this like lifestyle business. I used the money I made from that to buy more inventory to just chase my dream, which was to be a pro snowboarder. But at 17, something weird happened. At 17, I got this next big idea where I didn't just want a clothing line. I wanted my own store. I wanted what all these shop owners had that I met when I was selling my clothing to them. I wanted the lifestyle. So all I needed was 70 grand. So I just went around to everybody I knew and I said, you know, can I borrow some money? Do you, can you put this up for collateral? Can you help me? Blah, blah, blah. No, no, absolutely not. Hell no. That was the answer I just kept getting and I almost gave up. And then I got a yes because every single no, as you know, leads to a yes if you just work it long enough and you don't quit. And that yes didn't come from somebody that could really help me. That yes came from my mom. And my mom had nothing, but she had the house that she got in the divorce. So she put that house up with so that her 17-year-old punk snowboard kid could chase his dream and open Fat Man Board Shop. And that's where it all began. That's where the entrepreneurship began and the pressure began. Because as a 17-year-old, I never really owned a big business that owed a lot of money, 70 grand. And I never had the pressure of, if I screw up, mom loses, we lose our house. But I I didn't fail. You know, and I I got through and we made it through that. And five years later, we threw a big party, almost went to jail. (laughs) You know, a lot of things went on there. So kind of fast forward from that point, that was 1997 that that would have happened. And uh, I'm sorry, 1996, November 96, the store opened. And then fast forward to 2004, I had accomplished two major goals in my life. I had accomplished the goal of being a pro snowboarder. So that was my biggest thing. And I was well on my way by 2014 to rising through the ranks of being one of the pretty well-known snowboarders back in the day. And I'd also, you know, opened my stores and my stores were doing well. And I got my next big idea in the early 2000s, primarily because of necessity. Mm. The planes hit the towers, the market went down, and that was my first recession. So I needed to get a job. So I could deliver pizzas or I could go to work in a different field. And I landed in the financial world, started selling life insurance and financial products for New York Life in 2003. Thought I was going to hate it. I actually fought it tooth and nail, but I needed money and I ended up loving it. And I stayed in that career all the way to 2018, various companies, but uh, I, I became a top performing financial advisor. I literally did anything I needed to do. I got all the certifications, all the licenses. I did what everybody else was unwilling to do. I watched advisors show up at nine. I'm like, to beat them, I got to be here at seven. I watched them leave at five o'clock thinking it's a nine to five job. I stayed till eight. I did appointments on Sundays. I did whatever it took to rise to the top. And I did just that. And uh, it was a wild, amazing time. And that kept going like that. And I, I was making a lot of money as a young man at this time. And 2008 comes along and everything's going great. Pro snowboarder got my stores running. I'm a a rock star financial advisor, one of the top guys in the firm. And I got my next big idea. I was going to buy a strip mall, a dilapidated strip mall that needed to be completely redone. And that was going to be the new home for my, my new, my store. And no big deal. Just go out and borrow 340 grand for some, from some people that you shouldn't borrow money from, but Hey, I got this. That was my Mm -hmm. mentality. I got this. And you know where you know where I'm going with this, right? 2008, you know, there was this little thing <laughs> called the Great Recession. Yeah, well, 
the Great Recession crushed me, man. It, it brought me right to my knees. Uh, I got to the point where I was one payment away from being completely bankrupt. And this is that point in my life where you know I made a decision that I thought was going to go one way, and that decision went a completely wow. opposite way. And uh, I, I'll never forget, it was so bad. My girlfriend, who I just met, who's now my wife, had just moved into my house. And it was one night I had to come home, and I had to look her in the eye, and I had to say, sweetie, I wow. need your help. I need your help paying the mortgage. I need your help paying the utilities. You're not going to like this, but we have to rent that bedroom out because I can't make it. And, you know, many women would have just been like, you know, I'm just going to let myself out. Good luck, buddy. You know, I I wish you the best. I think (laughs) this one liked me because she ended up marrying me and we we made it through that time and we got through that barely and I wasn't going to quit. So 2009, after I kind of pulled myself off the floor and kind of regrouped a little, I didn't go bankrupt, but I was so freaking close. I was so broke at this point. Warren Buffett was a hero. There's a lot more to this part of the story, but I'm just going to get it, go over the quick thing. He was my hero and he always said, buy low. Buy low, sell high, and don't lose money. So real estate was on sale. So what I started doing is just buying as much real estate as I could from 2009 to 2014. That's what I did. And I thought everything was going to be good. And, and how, did you, how did you come up with the money? I borrowed it all from banks. So I was strictly okay. going to the bank, borrowing. I was taking loan mortgages out in my personal name. And because I had good credit, I had good income from the prior years, even though I had no money, my tax return showed otherwise because I made a lot as an advisor. Okay. And I remember when I was doing this, and, and this is an interesting parallel, when I'm doing all this buying, I had some friends that were like, man, you're a go-getter. You're just going after it. And that made me feel good. And then I had those friends that were like, man, what are you doing? Like, you, you, this is stupid. You, you, this is the dumbest thing. Why don't you just get a job? Why don't you just do what you're doing? You know, the naysayers that have never done something that want to tell you how to run your life. And I had lots of them. And this is that point in my life where I literally had to start like, friends that I was really close with, that I had partied with, that I'd had a lot of fun with, I had to start getting them out of my life. Sometimes I'd call it putting them in time out. Other times I just eliminated them because they were such a drag on everything I was trying to do. 2014 hits when I thought I had made it all. I thought I had it all figured out. All came crashing down on me again because remember I was saying I was borrowing from the banks in my personal name. Well, I had no idea how money really worked. I thought I knew everything because I was an advisor, but what I didn't know is how money really worked. And then I learned about this thing called the debt ceiling and I hit the financial wall. I went to buy another property and the bank said, you know, son, well, they didn't say son. They said, you know, Chris, we'd love to make this loan. You've been a good payer. You've got all these other mortgages, but you know, your debt to income ratio is just a wee little bit out of whack. And I'm like, what, what is that? Like that? Oh, income, you didn't even know what that was well, at that time. I, I did, but I just didn't. I'm like, I make plenty of money. I'm paying you guys. Like my credit's good. So like, to me, I'm like, I'm like the guy. But they, they, they tended to differ. And I'm like, also, I have rent coming in from these things. They're supporting themselves. Yeah. But you know, here's the thing, Chris, we can't make that loan for you. And by the way, uh, you're not going to like this, but we have, to, we have to freeze all your lines of credit. And I'm just like, that's devastated. I couldn't finish properties. So I ended up having to sell all 36 units at that point. And it got so bad that me and Larissa, we'd bought our dream house and I had to sell that too. Things got really bad at that point, really bad. And uh, I just wanted to quit. That was the point in my life where I'm just like, you know, I I almost lost it all in 08, almost lost it all again in 14. I just want to give up and quit. But I didn't because I got a postcard in the mail. 
And I remember, I never forget the day. It was a rainy day, almost like a movie sequel. It was a rainy, gloomy day in April. And I got a postcard and that postcard said, come to this three-day seminar to learn how to flip houses. And you know, everybody I tell this, they're like, man, don't you ever learn? But I wasn't going to the seminar because I wanted to learn how to flip houses because I'd already done a couple flips. I was going because I was so humbled by my failures that I had nothing to lose, but I had a free iPod shuffle to gain by going to this because that's what they were giving away. If you went, you got a free iPod shuffle. So I went. Mm -hmm. And by the second day of that seminar, the one thing that changed my life is I met three people. Three people in there, extremely successful real estate investors, extremely uh, well-known. And those three people started telling me what they were doing with money and how they were buying real estate. And I realized that what I was doing was the complete opposite of what they were doing. And then I went on to think, how can this be? I'm an advisor. I know all this stuff. That's when I finally learned that the things I needed to know were the things I needed to seek out, not sitting there waiting for my brokerage to feed this stuff to me so I can take it and sell it. The knowledge I needed was the knowledge these guys had, the wealthy guys in the room that I needed to seek out. And that's that's when I began it all. And that would just get me to 2014. That's the first year I learned what infinite banking was. Mike Baird had a TV show on A&E and we're sitting in Utah at the Cheesecake Factory and he starts telling me about this thing. And, and he's just talking about it. And I'm just like, that's amazing. It does, it does what? It's tax-free? You can just take money anytime you want? Dude, you're, you're making money even when you're using it? That can't happen. There's nothing that does that. I've never heard this. Mike, what is this thing? And he tells me, well, I, don't, I think it's a whole life policy. And I'm like, shoot. I'm like, hold on, Mike. Mike, I'm in the business, man. I've been in this business since 03. I've sold more whole life than most people. Whole life doesn't do that. And it just doesn't do that. And he's like, well, I, I don't know, man. This guy, Brent, he showed me this and it works exactly like I just told you. So whatever you think or don't think, maybe you should call Brent because I'm doing it. I'm lending money from these things and it's working and it's working really well. And you should really learn about this. So obviously that's, that's at that point, that was that moment where I'm like, dude, what else do I yeah. not know? What else do I not know that's out there that I should know and I should be talking to my clients about? And that's when I went to Brent. I called Brent. I'm like, Brent, Brent, I'm an advisor. I, I'm, I used to be in life insurance, I'm talking a mile a minute, you know, being from New York. And I'm going, and he's like, oh, hang on a second. He's like, have you watched my video? <laughs> my video? What video? I'm like, no, I, 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 I know this stuff. I don't need to watch your video. No, Chris, I, I got a 90 minute video that I need you to watch. Wait, wait, Brent, how long? 90 minutes? dude, I don't have 90 minutes to watch a video, but all right, man, I'll appease you and I'll watch the video. I'll never forget that Sunday, the biggest mug of coffee I could possibly get. I stroll myself down into my office at my house. I put the video on like a flash. The video was over. Four pages of notes later, hadn't even drank a sip of my coffee. I felt like I just saw the second coming. I literally couldn't believe what I saw. And I was so skeptical because I was in the business. So I'm like, I, I, I know this, this doesn't work this way. But when I saw how it worked, I'm like, it does work that way. It does work that way. I just was never taught that it could work that way. And that was the, that was the moment that changed it all, man. And from that point on, I started using infinite banking for all my real estate purchases. I started doubling down with all the money. I stopped putting money in 401ks. I stopped putting money in traditional vehicles. I diverted everything I could over and it started small, you know, I, a small policy. And then I took all the policies I created when I had New York life and I rolled them into this system, even though they weren't built the right way. I had cash there and now I had the way 
to deploy that cash and get that cash back through the recycle recapture. And I tell this story a lot because I was no different than everybody else. I was highly in debt. I had failed twice. I was miserable. I just couldn't figure out why I kept going in circles, why I just could never get ahead. I'd get money and then it'd all be gone and I'd get it again and it'd all be gone. And I couldn't figure the answer out. And this day when I learned that, that was the day when it all changed because I found the secret. And that secret was exactly what we both do now. And today, everything's different, man. I, I loan money for my infinite banking policies. I, I'm a, a private lender, created a whole community called Money School where I loan money to people in our community and I do it through infinite banking. I just loan money for my banking and then I just pay those loans back with the money that somebody else is paying me. And I try to tell people this. I try to tell them like what this is and all the things that this does. And I always get the same answer. Man, that sounds too... <laughs> sounds too good to be true. Yes. <laughs> I get that same This sounds answer. too good to be true. I'm like, well, it's not. And you, you, it's been around you your whole life. It's being used by every single bank out there. There's $168 billion that banks own in life insurance, and they've quadrupled the amount since 2013 after the crash. And it's being used every single day. And I'm just like, how can you not know what this is? Well, I don't know. My advisor said I should stay away from whole life. I said, of course he did, because that's what I used to say. I, I put your money in whole life when I got this fancy investment vehicle over here. We can put you in this annuity and I'm going to make a 6% rip on that. Oh, I didn't tell you that. And, and we're going to have all these things. And oh yeah, and you can't touch your money till 59 and a half. Oh yeah, and you won't have any liquidity because of the surrender charges. Oh, and the fees, yeah, don't worry about the fees. We'll make more money in the market. Yeah, I know what your advisor tells you because I was that guy. And that's exactly what your advisor is yeah. going to tell you. Don't do that. And that's what Dave Ramsey's out there telling and spewing the buy term, invest the difference. How many people's that ever worked for? No one. Anyway, right. I'm going to get off into right. a, a tangent. But you know, my only critique for you is if you were just a little bit more passionate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I I, I love. Uh, thank you for giving us your story, and not and now we've laid the platform. I want to go deep. Uh, my the people listening to this, they they have asked for us to go deep. And most of them have read my book, The And Asset. Many of them are clients and they are actively saving their money in properly structured uh, whole life. And, and then they're able to utilize that. I, you know, and I, I know that we might have say some of the differences. And so I want to put you on the spot and ask you, what is infinite banking and what are the players to the game and how does it actually work? Like not, not from a sales tax, standpoint, but how, how does this work in your life and your client's life? Infinite banking is essentially a system of having the proper machine to keep your money flowing, which is the whole life vehicle structured and built the proper way with the proper company. So that then when you take the money from your banking, and this is what blows people's minds, if you've saved money in this vehicle, and then you take that money out, and you use it for something else, buying a car, paying credit cards off, buying real estate, your money never ever stops earning interest. I'm going to steal this from your book. It is <laughs> it is the ultimate compound interest, uninterrupted compound interest. Albert Einstein, what does he say? The eighth wonder of the world, right? The most powerful thing in the financial world. If you can harness uninterrupted compound interest, which you can using the machine, then you can essentially do anything over here with the banking side of it. So 
you take the money from the machine, you then put the money over into whatever you're going to do. Let's just pretend we're buying a car. So there's only three ways to buy a car. You can pay cash for it, which is stupid because you buy a depreciating asset and you lose the earning potential on the money you had, or you can take a loan out through the bank or lease it. If you lease it, whatever, we don't even need to talk about that, but you take a loan out, you have no problem writing a check to your bank. So you're just writing a check. So why would it be a problem to write a check to yourself and give yourself that money instead of giving the bank or the financial company? So the infinite part is basically, I've got a machine that never stops working even when the money's gone. I redeploy the money over here to buy a car and then I just recapture and recycle all the money that I would have just given to somebody else and not even thought twice of it because it's an exchange. I got a car and all I do is I give you money. So I get the car, you get my money. Well, how about this? I get the car and I get my money too. And that's the recycling. So now all of a sudden I've got a closed loop for everything I do in my life. And when I build this system, this banking system, it's infinite because there is not much I cannot do with this. And that money will never, ever leave my family. I'll never lose control of that money. And I will be able to infinitely continue to keep building that system over and over and over again. And, and one of the reasons that Nelson Nash called this the infinite banking concept is there's infinite uh, uh, ways to use and this this strategy and system throughout your life. He also says that your greatest financial need is using money. And you and I, I can both agree to that. It's if you look at the we spend a lot more money than we save. And if we could, if we could just have a financial strategy that could help us spend our money, it would be powerful. Now, I'm, I want to push back uh, on one thing um, is when I started learning about the infinite banking concept, I got confused because of language that we, that we would say. And so we'd say something like, it didn't make much sense to me that you would save your money, then you would take from it mm -hmm. and then you'd pay yourself back. What we're at, what's actually happening is you're saving money into an overfunded whole life insurance contract. And that money is going to grow for you three, four, 5% tax-free for the rest of your life. And, and if you actually break that down, a future value calculation, let's take a hundred thousand dollars today at 4% over 40 years, it's just under half a million. So the reason why you and I would both ag agree that paying cash for something would be maybe not such a great idea. Is if you pay $100,000, you're disrespecting that money because that $100,000 is actually half a million 40 years from now. But if we just stop there, we're like everyone else. Just like you when you first started, you're comparing one product versus the other. What makes this so unique is we can borrow against, we can borrow against our asset that's continuing to grow. Like you said, I liked how you said it, the machine. We can have capital for a lot of times less than 5% and that capital we can put to work but we don't have to feel bad because our money is constantly growing, but there's still a cost to that. And it's not just by borrowing your money doesn't, or not your money. I, I messed up. Borrowing against your money doesn't make you wealthy. Insurance. It's how you use that. And, and this is where, mm -hmm. this is where I, I want you to clarify by buying a car, you're not being wealthy. You're not, that's not um, a, an activity that's going to make you wealthy. But what I will say is mm. by saving more money, because you can save more money in the system, you can feel less bad about buying the car. Is that, am I articulating that well or is there? Yeah. I mean, let me talk a little bit about building wealth. So what we essentially are doing, whether it's a car or credit cards or whatever, we're building wealth through our debts and our expenses. That, and that blows people's minds because that's just too broad, right? How can you build what wealth through your own debts and expenses that you already have? How can you do that? Well, if you just think about what it, so I go back to when I was an advisor. When I was an advisor, I always wanted to talk to people about how much money do you have? How much more yep. can you save or how much more risk can you take on? 
Yep. Now, most people would say, well, I have this much money. I can't save anymore. I really don't have any more to save. And I really don't want to take any more risk. But if that's my only option to hit my goal, then I guess that's my only option. Nobody wants those options. But what if we could start talking to people about not saving any more money, not losing any control, not working any harder, and not doing anything different than what you're doing today? And I'll still show you how to be able to build wealth. Now, that's like their mind explodes, but it's so simple. You have money. You're just giving it all away. You're giving it to everybody else. You're giving it to the finance company for the car. You're giving it to Visa, Amex, Discover, City, whoever issues your credit cards. You're spending money every day of your life and you're just giving your good dollars away today because your dollars are worth the most today. They're not worth more later in the future like we want to be, like Wall Street wants us to think with 401ks. That's the most foolish thing. When I, when I saw this, I literally wanted to punch myself straight in the nose. I've already broken it five. I might as well go for six because I'm just thinking all this time I've been telling people to put all their good dollars away into these retirement vehicles so that someday later, 59 and a half, they can take that money back out after the government's done a good job of compounding all their interest. And then they just take back the scraps later. And then the government just has a feast on that. But it's just stupid. But why can't we just build wealth by taking back the money we're giving to everybody else? And here's the reason why, because nobody knows how to do it. Nobody has the machine that will allow them to do what you just said, to take and use their machine as leverage or as collateral and allow an insurance company who has the most amount of money out of all the money originates at insurance companies. If your audience doesn't already know that, that's the the mecca of money. Insurance companies lend blocks of money to banks. That's how they get their money. But the insurance company will gladly give their policyholders money on a first priority, you are numero uno to the insurance company because the insurance company just takes the money you have in your cash value as collateral. They make you a loan. And then all you do is you take that loan and you pay off everything that you're spending money with. But then the second piece to this comes into play. Now, when you pay off your car, when you pay off Visa, or you, you use that money to do everything you're doing today, take back the money. Be an honest banker. If you were paying Visa $100 and that $100 was at 21% interest and you effectively just take that same $100 you had no problem giving to Visa and you take that money and you put it back into your banking policy, your whole life, your machine, do you realize you just made a 21% return on your money? But you made more than that because remember, we already said that your money that's in your banking policy your whole life never stopped earning interest. Never. Right. So all you got to do to build wealth is take back the money you're giving away so gladly. You're just happily giving all your wealth away every day of your life because that's what you've been taught. Right. And no one's ever shown you a system and a way to take that back until Nelson Nash came up with this. 100%. 100%. I hope and I said really, that the right way. Yes, I loved it, man. And it's redirecting money and helping you save more money because uh, what I always say is you can save more money if you have control and access to it. And so what we're not only doing is we're helping people save more money, but then we're also helping people play on offense. And if there's an activity that you can earn more than 5%, let's just say, you would much better off using the insurance company and then take have that asset base activity, then restructure money and have it flow back to us. And that's why this is literally the very best place to have at the foundation of your of your financial life. Absolutely. And you can build off of it in so many ways. I mean, look what I've done with this with real estate. I mean, real yeah. estate, in my opinion, is one of the greatest investments, right? It's one of the greatest places you right. can put money. Why not take the money from that banking policy and then move it to the real estate? Because then I just get all the money back. 
I mean, it's just right. so stupid to think about. It. I maybe I just am too close to it now, and I just can't understand <laughs> how people just can't see this. If I have a method to give you all your money back, and all you need to do is just right. change one thing in your life, and that one thing you got to change is just where the money goes first. How is that complicated? Let me let me give you the answers that we get uh, or get asked all the time. Is number one, it sounds too good to be true. What's your answer to that? If this is too good to be true, then why has it been being used for two hundred years? And if this is a scam, sign me up, buddy. Please sign me up because it is the best scam I've ever seen in the world, and it's the longest standing one because. As far as I can, as I'm concerned, this has been around for 200 years and nobody's ever stopped it. So yeah, if it's too good to be true, maybe you just need to hit a couple more keys in the Google thing and find out that this isn't too good to be true and that this has been being used all around you. It's just been called something different. That's it. Maybe it's not infinite banking. Maybe it's privatized banking. Maybe it's becoming the bank. Maybe it's, uh, you know, they call it all sorts of different things, bully, coley. But just open yeah. your eyes and figure out how do banks fund their employees' benefits? Why do they have so many vice presidents? Why is it when you walk in a branch, there's three vice presidents in there? And you're like, is this really necessary? Because the bank needs an insurable interest and they need an executive that qualifies as an insurable interest. Then the bank just has a free reign to go out and buy a whole life on that employee. And they pat the employee on the back and they say, Mr. Employee, congratulations on your promotion you know what we're going to give you? We're going to give you this thing called the deferred comp. And it's the greatest thing ever. We're going to allow you to work for our bank for the next 20 years of your life, slaving. We'll give you small raises along the way, just so you can make sure to afford the increase in your bread and your milk. But we're going to, we're going to hold you to that 20 years. But if you make it, if you make it the 20 years, if you're one of the few, you will get a paycheck for the rest of your life called deferred comp. What do you think? And the employee's psyched. He's like, yeah, man, that's great. And the bank just goes out and buys a whole life. And then the bank uses that whole life. And the bank gets all the money back for every single benefit that they pay, pay to every one of those employees. Oh, and then when the employee passes away or graduates, <laughs> yeah, well, you already know what happens there. Yeah, it's, it just recycles. Next question I get is, well, what if you can get a better rate of return somewhere else? I know you and I both have the same answer, but I, I want people to hear it from other than just me. Define someplace else because that would be my thing. So like, let's say I could do a real estate deal at 20%. Why would I put my money in life insurance? Your money in the life insurance and then move the money into the real estate deal so that all the money continues to make more. You can make a lot of money in real estate, but why wouldn't you want to pick up a couple extra percent over here and have full control of that money? You got to change one thing. Just move it here first. Then we'll take it from there and we'll buy the real estate. And now all of a sudden you're making more and don't you want to make more? I know you can make more over here in real estate right. because that's what I do, but wouldn't you just like to make a little bit more? Right. And, and the only really downfall of the strategy is the first couple of years, there's not a hundred percent liquidity. Meaning mm -hmm. if you put in a hundred thousand dollars in your account, you're not going to have a, a access to a hundred thousand dollars, but in return, your money is going to, your hundred thousand dollars is going to grow for you the rest of your life. Yeah. Tax-free without fees, without losses, without, I could talk to you all day long and you have uh, the lion's share immediately. And over time, you actually have more money from that system to go and invest in other assets. So it's really, if you can get, be, you can get over the, the not having dollar for dollar access in the first couple of years, this is the greatest place to cycle your money through because now your dollar gets to do two jobs rather than one. And I don't know about you, but if two is greater than one and compounded rate, as an entrepreneur, as someone that's big into real estate, uh, I'll take that all day long. And the other thing too, that's funny about that is, you know, people that that's a big thing. And I agree that is, if there's one down, 
thing, there, there's a couple of downsides to this, but that would be the biggest one. You don't have immediate access to 100% of your money. You have access to call it six, 55 to 60% in the first year. And then people are like, oh, well that, yeah, man, I don't know. That's just not, I kind of would want access to all my money. And I look at them in the eye and I say, so you have a savings now, right? Okay. Yeah. And, and so how much money do you have in there? Great. You got 10 grand in your savings. How much did you have in there at the beginning of the year? Ten, oh, you had 10 grand in there then too. So how much of that money did you actually need and use? Oh, you didn't use any of it. Oh, that's rainy day money. Okay. So it's not okay if you just needed 60% of that, right? Like, cause you didn't use any of it, but what if you just had 60%? Would it have made any difference over the last year? And they say, well, I don't really understand. I said, yeah, there's a big difference. You would have been making 4% guaranteed if it was in a different bucket than you have it in. But yeah, you're so caught up stepping over dollars to pick up pennies because you're worried about having access to a hundred percent when you didn't even use 1% of it. Like get your head right, man. Like get your head right. Well, and, it's and if also, you need access to 100%, well, then don't put it in. Don't put it all into the banking policy right off the bat. If you know you need this money in the next year, only put in what you don't need, right? Or put in what you only need 60% of. I mean, this isn't complicated, folks. Right. Just, and, and it's and it's we have to be able to think long term and short term. Like we're not. This is not like a typical like Wall Street saying, just do like stay in this for the long run. I I like to to say that they whittle they they. They put in front of our faces rate of return, which I think is, is will seduce us to just put our money and throw it at their vehicles. And it's really, what if you reverse engineered it and said, what if ROR stood for return on result? What results do you actually want to live? Like, where do you yeah. want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? And there's nothing more empowering that is to your money and also empowering to your life. Because the powerful thing is, we haven't even talked about this, is the death benefit. You may not want it. We have people that call us all the time that says, we don't care at all about the death benefit. And I say, okay, like, okay. But it actually is a very empowering part of, of what we get to do. Because if something happens to you or I, we're going to have significant windfalls coming to the things that we care about. Um, your, your wife will be protected. But more importantly, the impact that you're going to have or if you live will happen even if you don't live to see that, if you come out to Colorado and you show me a backflip and it backflip doesn't go so well, you know, enough that I'm not that's the easiest trick in the book. Um, but you know, here's the thing too. You got to remember, I, I think about death benefit a little bit different because I do come from that world. I worked 14 years for New York life. So in 14 years, I lost some really, really close clients some people that I viewed as dear friends. And these people were people that I had life insurance that I had set up for them. So I didn't just see what life insurance is. I saw what life insurance does. I saw how that check that that insurance company wrote to that beneficiary saved that family. It didn't bring him back, but it, it saved that family. It kept that house over their head. Yeah. It kept groceries in, it kept food in their, you know, in their fridge. It kept the car in the driveway. It maintained their lifestyle. So when somebody, if anyone, anyone ever said, Oh, we don't care about the death benefit, I would say, I would, I would, probably tell them the story of my client, Bob, and what life insurance really is. Hey, you might just think it's money when you die, but when you understand what that money means to that family that needs it so vitally when they just lost their breadwinner unexpectedly, then you have a newfound love for what life insurance actually does because it is a beautiful thing. And yes, it's not what we talk about, but it is, it is not the main thing that we even do, but it is there. And it is that one silent kiss that you will someday be able to say, I helped that family continue their legacy. So 
it might not be power important to some people, but if they just understood what it means to other people and they just took themselves out of their little selfish world and looked at what it actually does, that would be a whole different world. And let me just hit on one other thing because being from Wall Street, this is the biggest thing I hear a lot when I'm talking because I talk to hundreds of people. Um, I almost feel like every month I'm on a phone with a hundred people, but, um, one of the things that they always find is, you know, we tell them about their guaranteed 4%, you know, which the companies we work with are all guaranteed 4% plus dividend. And they're just like, well, you know, that doesn't seem like a lot. You know, if I make 4% on 100, you know, I'm, I'm not making that much money. And I said, okay, yeah, you're, you're probably right. It is. It's kind of crappy. Yeah. But you're not earning that in your bank. But, you know, yeah, your, your stock portfolio over here, you, how much did you make? Oh, I killed it. I made 18% this year. I said, great, great. And you, you're going to make 18% every year. Well, no but I think I can average six or seven. Perfect. So then I go in and I show them an illustration. I always carry around just a very simple illustration showing somebody putting $10,000 away. And I said, what I want you to do is I want to do a little exercise. 4% is a crappy return in your eyes because you can make more in Wall Street and earn real estate. But what I'd like you to understand right now is that you don't know crap about compound interest. I would like you to take year five and I'd like you to subtract year five's cash value from year four. And then they do that. And then I said, okay, so what is the number you got? And they give me that number. Now what I'd like you to do is subtract out the amount you put into that plan that year. So the amount you put into, you know, quote unquote, the whole life, or it would be the same as what you put into your investments. Okay. You put 10 grand in, so subtract that from 10 grand. And how much do you have? Uh, 2,068. Now I want you to take that $2,068 and I'd like you to divide that into $10,000. What is your return on your investment that year? It's 20 plus percent. You were just psyched over here at how you killed it making 18%, but you carried a ton of risk because you even said, oh, I, I don't always do that. I'm going to average about six, which means you're going to make 18. Then one year, you're going to lose 20. Then you're going to make 10. Then you're going to make two and it's all over the place and you're going to go gray. You're going to lose your hair because that's what Wall Street does. And then over <laughs> here in this boring, stupid whole life policy that only makes you a guaranteed 4%, you just told me you made 20%. Oh, I don't get that. That doesn't make sense. That's more than four. Or it's called compound interest. You just need to learn how money really works. And you don't understand that because you have been led down this path too long in your life to believe that that's the only option. This is a better option. Right. And I think the annual annual rate of return is important, but I, I deal with a lot of analytical people and that is that's a half truth that we're sharing with them because their their quote unquote eighteen percent that's not going to last is on the full amount where we're just looking at every like year amount. So in, in fairness, they could right. have they could have reverse engineered their contribution, looked at the eighteen percent, and divided it by what they con mm -hmm. contributed. But the point is simple: it's not we're not comparing it to an investment where it's it's as place to store capital. And what savings accounts are earning anywhere near four percent over your life, right? And gives you the ability to grow your money and use it at the same time. That's where we focus because at the end of the day, I, I do think people are get get lost and and also are we want a quick win, and sometimes it's hard to see where this makes sense. But if you zoom out, it's it's obvious that this is one of the most empowering vehicles that you can have. I couldn't agree more. Man, I super appreciate you being on here. I'm curious, what what were your thoughts on being on HT? HGTV, Risky Builders, 
What was some of your biggest takeaways? Well, everybody thinks, you know, it's like an overnight success. Oh, you just sent a video into HD and they loved you and they just put you on TV. No, it was a four-year journey. It was a four-year journey that led to a lot of no's. It led to HGTV telling us no and then, you know, just never giving up. And we finally got the show and it aired. And even when it was airing, you know, we thought that was like our future. That's everything. Like We had all of our eggs in one basket. Discovery buys HGTV and all of a sudden our show gets canceled. Sucks. That's the way it is. But you know, it was an amazing experience. I mean, it was one that just showed that if you want something bad enough, if you have a dream and you put it out there and you dream it, you believe it, you can achieve it. And I'll tell you something, man, that's the likeliness. Getting a show on HGTV is the likeliness of getting struck by lightning and, or probably even, you probably have a better chance of getting struck by lightning. But uh, you know, when you really want something and you focus all of your energy and your effort at it, it happens. It wasn't easy. It, it was actually more of a pain in the butt. I mean, it's really tough. They, the deadlines they give you, you know, it's very difficult to stay on budget because they want the house to be over the top. And, yeah. you know, it, it looks great on TV in 22 or 23 minutes. It, it looks perfect. Everybody wants to do it. But in the reality, that's seven months or six months of just hell of trying to get that house done. But it was an awesome experience. I would never, ever, ever say one bad thing about it because I learned so much. And probably the same thing with with snowboarding is extremely tough, hard, hardworking. Did you ever want to give up when you were in the midst of? Never once. Never once. Never once. I had my bad days. You know, you get injured and you just can't hit the snow, and you, you know, you just don't know if you're going to make it back. And but no, there was never a day in snowboarding. Never even a day now in snowboarding that I would ever say I wanted to quit. No way. I love it. I just the feeling I have. When I'm, when I go off a jump or I hit a rail, I mean, the only thing I can describe that to is the feeling I get when I walk onto a stage and I have the ability to showcase and show what I have to give to the world in front of those people in that audience. I love it, man. It's the only thing that's related. Favorite book that you would recommend? Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. One of my favorite books. All time. Um, You're coming out with another book and Mm -hmm. I want to know how I can and my audience can get that book when it comes out. And so do you want to break down like what it is and, and so it's called mapping out the millionaire mystery. And it is, I guess, take, it's very related to Nelson Nash's becoming your own banker. That the, it, that's the, the kind of the reason we did this book is we felt that we needed to take Nelson's book and we needed to bring it to a new day. And it's very simple. It's not a whole bunch of numbers in there. It's really conceptual. It's what this does. It's how it can change your life. But it's done by telling stories. There's a lot of stories. Nelson yep. Nash talks about the perpetual tailwind in, air, in, you know, in an airplane and how powerful that is. And if you really grasp the idea of the perpetual tailwind, what our book is going to show is so good. And it's me and Brent Kessler and Brent's just a wealth of knowledge. He's my mentor. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I have the manuscript. I haven't even read the whole thing, but the manuscript is done. We just picked the cover design today. So we're, we're looking to have the book ready for sale by late January. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going to blow people's minds. And Brent, Brent's a great friend of mine and you have an incredible mentor and, and just a great mutual friend. So that's incredible. I can't wait to read it. Um, One of the questions I love to end this, Chris, and I'm really curious to hear yours because you're super thoughtful and, and there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to live that out and be the money mentor. If this was your last day on earth and you were with the people that you love the most, what would you tell them? I would tell them. If you want the most out of life, you have to do one thing, and that is give more. That's what I would tell them. Give everything you got and give it all. 
It's powerful. Well, I appreciate you giving um, what you have today, and and it's it's been fun. I'm I'm excited at and no joke snowboard with you. I'll I'll pick up some some tricks, uh, which may not be that exciting, but <laughs> and and I'm excited to see you grow, man, and, and the impact that you're having. Let's continue to share the the word of helping people take back control. I love your passion, man, and I'm I'm grateful. That thank you're you so much for having me on. It was an honor. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris. Uh, I know I had a blast being on here and really just just going at it and and really challenging each other, but then also just hearing his passion. A um, couple things. I asked Chris, what's the best way for people to connect with him? And he said his first and last name, chrisnoggle.com. You can go there. You can check all the stuff that he has going on with the book and uh, just all the other resources and videos that they have. Uh, wealth of knowledge. Continue to track him, follow him. Because um, what we're all going to do together collectively is help people take back control. And I'm just really grateful that he came on the show and and highlighted uh, what, what they're all about. So go and check him out. I would love to hear from you. I would love if you shared this, this podcast with other people that need to hear this message. And I would also love to hear your feedback. So if you go to betterwealthpodcast.com, you can share your feedback, reach out to us. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.